You are listening to the Fresh Focus Podcast, where VA dietitian nutritionists are serving up health and wellness information for veterans and their families. In addition to being in clinic, chatting over the phone, or using Video Connect, we are increasing your access with this podcast. This series provides helpful hints for diet and lifestyle changes focusing on heart health. If you have a new diagnosis or just discharged from the hospital, it can be overwhelming to understand all the recommendations on eating and exercising once you're on your way back home. Take a listen to VA dietitians as they provide helpful hints on protecting your heart and keeping our nation's heroes home and healthy. Welcome to another episode of the Fresh Focus Podcast. Today we will be discussing the spectrum of exercise in relation to cardiac health from zero to the extreme. Now please note this podcast is not a substitute for talking to your doctor or cardiac rehab professional. It's important to ensure that you are medically stable and ready for a progressive structured exercise program. And your provider will also be able to give you specific guidance towards an exercise prescription that's tailored to your needs. And as with any exercise program for any individual, you should start in a slow, controlled manner. Remember, you can always progress and advance, but we must allow the body time to go through the appropriate adaptive process. The body can do great things, but we need to give it time to do so. If you are exercising, be sure to be mindful of any warning signs that could prompt you to stop the activity and possibly seek medical care. I'm going to list some of these things out, so bear with me. Some examples could be pain, tightness, pressure, burning, or discomfort in your chest, neck, shoulder, arm, back, or jaw, severe shortness of breath, cold sweats, severe nausea or vomiting, muscle cramps, sudden weakness or changes in feeling in your arms and or legs, sudden severe fatigue, trouble swallowing, talking, or seeing, severe headache, dizziness, or lightheadedness, severe joint pain, And we also want to avoid any issues related to vitals, such as low blood sugar, abnormally low or elevated blood pressure, and an oxygen level dropping below 80%, if you also have a pulmonary condition that requires you to monitor your oxygen levels. If these symptoms don't go away after a few minutes, that's when it's probably a good time to seek out medical assistance. As always, we want people to be able to exercise and invest in their functional independence, but we also have to be mindful of safety. If we end up having a serious medical event or injury due to trying to do too much too quickly, that's just more time lost that could be spent investing in our health and overall freedom. Now that we've covered all that, let's move on to the fun stuff. The purpose of today's topic is to discuss the full spectrum of exercise volume when it comes to the effects on cardiac health. And when I say exercise volume, I am generally referring to the total amount of exercise completed on a regular basis, such as from week to week. So we will briefly touch on everything from no exercise all the way to extreme levels of exercise, as well as everything that lies in between. First, let's start at the ground level. And I want to lead off with this phrase, the human body is meant to move. Unfortunately, we live in an era characterized by convenience and sedentary lifestyles due to technological advancement. In our hunter-gatherer days, we wouldn't need advice on activity and exercise or even nutrition for that matter. We'd be hunting, foraging, building shelter, etc. And our lives would be characterized by regular activity and sporadic, moderate to high intensity movement, such as sprinting and lifting heavy things. Nowadays, things are a bit different. We have to intentionally strive to include regular activity and exercise into our lives. But what if we don't? 
Unfortunately, for many, a sedentary lifestyle has become their baseline. And we're not here to judge them for that. In this day and age, it can be difficult. But how do we help people be creative and find enjoyable ways to work in some beneficial movement? Even though a sedentary lifestyle might be the baseline and commonplace for some, in terms of health, we're already in the negative. An idle, immobile way of life is not a neutral place. The lack of movement goes hand in hand with decreases and deficits in health and functional capacity. This is true for the mind, body, and soul. So let's take a peek at what we might be looking at in this situation. For the mind, we can expect lower plasticity, which is the ability of the brain to adapt, change, and learn, less efficient blood flow and blood vessel growth, thereby limiting oxygen and nutrient delivery, lower cognitive function, memory and processing speed, less neuron development or neurogenesis, a heightened response to pain, a higher risk of neurotransmitter imbalance, meaning that everything from mood and focus to depressive symptoms could be negatively affected, and so on. For the body, we can experience insulin resistance, hindered lymphatic system function, a less capable immune system, decreased bone density, lower lean body mass and muscle tissue, and a general decline in function, mobility, and the ability to perform activities of daily living. For the soul, some of which we've already touched on, we can see the worsening of symptoms of things like anxiety and depression, hindered energy and mood, lower threshold for stress and pain, lower self-esteem and self-confidence, distorted body image, and possible negative influences on our social connections with the people around us. A lack of activity and exercise translates to far more issues than just the way we look or the amount of fat mass that we carry. Shifting our focus back to cardiac health, the heart is a muscle. Any muscle that's not encouraged to adapt via more intense effort will not function near as efficiently as it could. Think of it as not reaching the heart's full potential. This is also a good time to discuss collaterals. What are collaterals? The creation of collaterals is an aspect of angiogenesis, or the creation of new blood vessels. Think of them as the body's own natural bypasses. When a blood vessel fails to provide sufficient blood flow to an area, collaterals can be created as a viable alternative source of blood flow. Exercise helps to encourage this process through the release of various growth factors for blood vessel growth, as well as demand from the tissues themselves. Active tissues require an adequate blood supply. The human body, in all its complex glory, will do everything it can to provide that supply, but the sedentary body will not be near as effective at getting this done. Now let's move on to the next step, pun intended. Let's assume I piqued your interest with the doom and gloom of the previous section. Let me keep your attention with a more positive statement. A little can do a lot. Any additional movement that gets you a little more mobile and has you sitting less will provide benefits. Most healthcare and cardiac professionals will agree that doing anything is better than nothing. You might be thinking, yeah, but walking that extra 10 minutes this week isn't going to do much, I'm sure. You'd be surprised. There's a common concept in the resistance training community known as beginner gains or newbie gains. It's basically a phase of rapid improvement at the beginning of someone's exercise journey or even their return to exercise if they have been less active for some time. But this concept isn't isolated to any one modality of movement or exercise. This is also true for the general initiation of movement across the board and the benefits we can get from it. The transition from a sedentary lifestyle to a mild or moderately active lifestyle yields a relatively large cardiac risk reduction, whereas further increases in exercise volume produces much smaller reductions in risk. 
There are studies that have simply looked at the effects of standing more than two hours per day, and even doing something as simple as standing more produced significant benefits and risk reduction. If someone starts working in some dedicated exercise, whether it be walking, jogging, weight training, etc., even below the recommended guidelines of 150 minutes per week for moderate intensity, 75 minutes per week for high intensity, we still see significant benefits and reductions in risk and all-cause mortality across the board. So what's the take-home message here? Don't feel like you have to train for a 5K, go to the gym five days a week, join a group fitness gym, buy some insanely expensive piece of exercise equipment that's being marketed to you, and so on and so forth. These can all be options, but they are not a necessity. Some people just need to hear that doing anything helps. So for those that have packed schedules, crazy lives, past injuries and limitations, and all these other things that can limit the amount of time and ability we have to do things, this is for you. Just do anything that you feel like you can work in that is enjoyable and realistic for you. Don't feel like you have to overhaul your lifestyle overnight to do some random exercise program that isn't realistic for your goals and your life. And later on, if you feel like you can progress things a bit, then go for it. So what do you do if you're already active and curious about how to pursue maximal benefit from your exercise? As mentioned previously, the current recommendations for exercise volume are 150 minutes or two and a half hours per week of moderate intensity exercise and 75 minutes or an hour and a quarter for high intensity exercise. Figuring out the volume of exercise for maximal cardiac benefit can be pretty difficult to calculate, but research indicates that the range could go from the baseline recommendations all the way up to three to four times that amount, which would be roughly nine hours per week of moderate intensity and about five hours per week of high intensity, depending on which one you decided to incorporate. But before your surprise eyebrows launch off your face and you finish verbalizing those choice words for me, remember, the biggest risk reduction comes from just getting out of that sedentary lifestyle in any way and any amount. Getting up to these volumes will provide additional benefit, but at a slower rate. Think of it as a slower rate of return as you increase past the recommended amounts. So they can help, but they're not necessary to still see some great health improvement. In the discussion of optimal approaches to exercise planning, a couple other things should be noted. First, a mixture of moderate intensity and high intensity exercise will likely provide further improvements in cardiac health, as well as general healthy adaptations, than just doing moderate intensity exercise alone. High intensity exercise should be pursued slowly and with caution, and although some will avoid vigorous exercise due to a slight temporary increase in risk, the overall risk is actually fairly low. This is something to discuss with your provider, and if you still aren't comfortable with it, sticking to moderate intensity movements is perfectly fine. Also, in terms of cardiac health and exercise, cardiovascular-specific exercises are typically the focus, but other modalities such as resistance training and mobility can further optimize your return on investment. Adding some sort of strength training even just a couple days per week can help produce further improvements in cardiopulmonary fitness, increase quality of life, and provide general benefits to functional ability and independence. We want to be able to squat, bend, push, pull, lunge, and twist, because these are things that we are built to do. Exercising in various ways helps us to preserve these primal movements and maintain our functional ability. Even if you feel like you're limited in these movements, any improvement is a win. Focus on being better, not perfect. Now let's get into the high end of this topic. When have we gone too far? Is that even possible? 
This gets into what is sometimes referred to as the extreme exercise hypothesis, and it stems from information and research gathered from marathon runners, triathletes, cross-country skiers, cyclists, and other exercises capable of high endurance volumes. Some examples of issues that are commonly reported in this subset of the exercising population are things such as myocardial fibrosis, a type of scar tissue that can develop within the heart, coronary artery calcification, and a higher risk of AFib. My wife actually works in a cath lab, and she says it's always surprising when they have an otherwise healthy endurance athlete on the table that they have to perform some type of cardiac procedure on. But luckily, when looking at the research on this topic, the risk of these things occurring or causing life-threatening situations is actually quite low. And this level of exercise still puts a person at a far lower risk of mortality and cardiac issues than if they were sedentary. And some of these changes can be protective. The plaques found in the blood vessels of endurance-related master's athletes tend to be more stable and less likely to break off and cause a blockage. Now, this isn't to say that we don't want to be mindful of overdoing it with exercise or anything for that matter. But we shouldn't avoid any exercise or any level of activity because of some minor risk at the higher levels of that exercise volume. But the slight increase in risk highlights a few things. It reinforces that rest is important. The yin to the yang. Everything must exist in balance to be optimal. If we are overworking our bodies and not allowing for adequate rest and recovery, we are going to be at a higher risk of some of these issues. Also, as always, lifestyle matters. A person that eats well, sleeps well, manages their stress, doesn't smoke, etc. is going to have a much lower risk of adverse events. So if someone loves their high volumes of exercise and they're able to do it safely and intelligently, then they may just want to make sure that the rest of those lifestyle and health-related variables are accounted for in a positive way. Our health is a collection of habits, not the result of a singular focus. The takeaway here is that it is very difficult to define an upper limit for exercise volume. And although there seems to be a bit of a Goldilocks zone that will provide the highest return on investment and lowest risk, every volume and intensity of exercise results in a dramatic reduction of cardiovascular mortality as well as all-cause mortality in comparison to inactivity. In other words, even at the highest levels of exercise volume, the benefits still far outweigh the risk. We need to remember that any activity that reduces the amount of time we are sedentary will provide significant benefits. Benefits that can include positive effects on lipid levels and other labs, blood pressure, inflammation, glucose metabolism, vasodilation, nitric oxide availability, and so on and so forth. There are literally hundreds of things I could list, but you don't want to listen to all that. And if you are given an opportunity to pursue any type of cardiac or cardiopulmonary rehab, it's highly recommended that you pursue these. They can help you to get back into the swing of things in a structured and guided environment. And never hesitate to ask questions if you're not sure how to start, how to progress, or how to maintain safety. The body is meant to move, so let's find some ways to make that happen. Thank you for once again tuning in to the Fresh Focus podcast. Be sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share these episodes with anyone that you know that may be concerned about or struggling with their cardiac health. 